Matthew uh, chapter 13, uh, verse 24, it says this, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? When then, sorry, where there, there, where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And now we will go down to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into a house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. How about I pray for us and we will have a look at that passage. Lord God, we thank you for the chance we have once again to look at your word. We thank you for the privilege it is to hear from you and to discover the secrets of your kingdom. I pray now that you will be filling me with your spirit that I will say all the things that you want me to say, and I will not say the things that you do not want me to say. I pray that we will hear from you, and that we will be changed by you, and we will live differently in this world because of what we have learnt tonight. Amen. I was driving home uh, from Bible study one night with a friend. Uh, it was a few years ago, and I was driving down this road, uh, and it was right next to a train line. And as we drove, I, was, I looked up, and I saw this bright light kind of on top of a telegraph pole, and it was kind of pulsating. And it looked like there was someone welding. So I said to my friend who I was in the car with, I said, hey, someone's welding on top of the telegraph pole. And then I was like, hold on a tick. That doesn't make any sense. Who goes welding on top of a telegraph pole at 10.30 at night? That's a silly thing to do. And I was like, it's not someone welding. It's on fire. I was like, great. This is an emergency. And so I pulled over the car. I was like, we get to call the emergency services. And my friend was like, oh, okay. And I was like, yeah. So I pulled out my phone. I dialed triple zero. And then I, I... listened and there was like a recorded voice and like, hello, what do you want? I was like, fire. And he was like, pizza? I was like, fire. It didn't really. But I did have to talk to a recorded voice and didn't quite understand what I was saying. I was like, I'll put you through to an operator. And then I took the operator and was like, I need the fire brigade. And they're like, okay, we'll send them. I was like, yes, the fire brigade is coming. I was so excited. And I was sitting there and, and we parked the car and we kind of walked up. We didn't want to get too close to the, to the 
to the telegraph pole because I was like, it might explode and then we would both be killed. And I was like, oh, I don't want that to happen. But I was looking at it, it was like going, wah, wah, wah. It was like a, a lightsaber. It, was really, it, it didn't look like a lightsaber, but it sounded like one. It was really cool. And I was so excited. And then the police turned up and the fire brigade turned up and I was, I was really ready for them to, to, to do something crazy. I was hoping that like, the police would cordon off the area and start directing traffic, although there was like no cars on the road at all. But I was hoping that lots of cars would come. They'd be like, go back that way. And then the fire brigade would pull up and they'd be like, they'd come out in their hazmat suits and like, all those shiny ones that like you, when you cap well fires in Iraq, like I wanted suits like that. And then they would go up and they'd be like, whoa, it's so big, everyone get back. And then they'd go and they'd try and put it out and they'd be like, go, go, go. And they'd say cool things like, she's gonna blow. And then they'd run away and it'd explode. And then someone would get hit by something and be like, we don't leave him behind. And they'd drag him out and it'd be so exciting. I was really keen for that to happen. But all that happened is they all pulled up and they looked at him and went, oh yeah? And I was like, oh. And so I walked over and I was like, are you gonna do something? And they're like, nah, it's not on our land, it's on railway land. I was like, what are they gonna do? It's like, we'll get them to turn off the electricity. It's like, no, come on. I wanted something really exciting. They're just going to turn it off and then someone's going to fix it in the morning. It was so, so disappointing for me. Now, I tell you this because in Jesus' ministry, he was being anticipated, his arrival was being anticipated by the people of Israel. They were waiting for the Messiah to turn up. And when the Messiah turned up, they were hoping that he would do some great stuff. There would be fireworks in Israel when the Messiah turned up. They were under the rule of a foreign power of the Romans, and they were hoping that he would come in and he would kick out the Romans. He would be their great king and military leader. He would put Israel back in the place where it was in the time of Solomon, that all the nations of the world would see how great Israel was. There would be an independent nation and everyone would come back to God and they were just waiting for Jesus to do this. And so people were hanging on to Jesus' every word, thinking, when is Jesus going to come and change the world? When is he going to kick out all the evil? When is he going to make things right? And so Jesus tells this parable to say to them, what you are anticipating is not going to happen the way you think it will happen. It is going to be a disappointment for you if you are waiting for the fireworks of the Messiah because Jesus has come to do something different. And the reason why we know exactly what Jesus is talking about in this parable is because we are very blessed to have Jesus' explanation in the parable. Normally when we study parables, we have to spend a lot of time trying to figure out what it means. And you, gotta, and you feel like your brain is very small because it's like, I, well, does this mean this or does this mean this? And so many people have different ideas. You can't have a lot of different ideas about this parable because it's like, this is it. And it's like, okay, well, that's it. Very simple. And Jesus tells us what each thing is. He's like, the man, the farmer who sows, he is the son of man. If you're thinking, who's that? That's Jesus. And the field is the world. That means sometimes we're like, oh, is it the church? No, it's the world. So it's not just here, it's everywhere, the whole entire world. And then there are the, there's the wheat, that is the people who are followers of Jesus. And then there is the weeds, the people who are not followers of Jesus. They are called um, people of Satan, people of the evil one. And then the one who sows the weeds in the world, that is Satan. And there you go, there's the explanation. Oh, and the people who do the harvesting at the end, they are the angels who are going to 
bring everyone together at the end of time and separate those people who are followers of Jesus and those people who aren't followers of Jesus. There you are. That is Jesus' explanation. And what he is saying is that while Jesus has come and he did his work on earth, he began the kingdom of God. It started with him. A new thing started when he arrived, but it did not finish when he went back into heaven. It started, but it's still going. We're in the, what theologians like to call the now but not yet. The kingdom of God is here now, but is not yet fully realized. And it will only be fully realized when Jesus comes back and he establishes his eternal rule on earth and he will wipe out all that is evil in the world. And we are people who look forward to that because we look at the world and we say, this is a world that is broken. This is a world where things have gone horribly wrong and we want to see Jesus come back and put things right. We want to see Jesus come back and weed out all who do evil and get rid of everything that causes sin so that we can live in an eternal kingdom where God rules and everyone is loved and things work properly the way they were meant to work. This is what we look forward to, but it is not going to happen in the time frame that we want it to happen. It is coming, but it is not here yet. So we have this time where we are in a mixed kingdom, or in a world where there are mixed kingdoms, where there is the kingdom of God and it is intermingling with the kingdom of Satan. And so the question is then, well, how do we live in this mixed kingdom? How do we live in this world of mixed kingdoms? What is our response? And so we're going to look at uh, three ways not to respond uh, to the world in this, this mixed world and one way to respond to the world. And the first way uh, that we need to make sure that we do not respond to the world uh, is uh, to avoid the world. So one of the things that we do is when we look at the world, we say, well, look, I'm a Christian and there are all these things in the world which I don't like. And so I will avoid them as much as possible. And this is something that Christians have been doing for many, many, many thousands of years. Uh, the monastic movement that started was about taking Christians out of the world so they could focus on loving and following God. And there are a lot of good things that have come out of the monastic movement, but this idea that we have to separate ourselves from the world to be holy is one that continues to run through Christianity. And it's not just in, you know, if you're a nun or a monk, we also just tend to do it as Christians today. I uh, heard about the um, Christian business directory a few years ago, and the idea of the Christian business directory was that if you're a Christian, you could sign up and send off your business details and pay a bit of money, and then all the Christians would be able to get a copy of the Christian business directory. And then uh, if you wanted to get someone to come and... Uh, look after your plumbing or something, then you could find a Christian plumber and you could ring them up and say, hey there, brother, hallelujah, it's great to talk to another believer. And they'll be like, oh, it's great to talk to you too, bless you. And say, look, I've got a problem uh, with my sink. It's a bit clogged. Do you reckon you can come fix it? And they'll be like, praise the Lord, I've been hoping to unclog a sink all day. I will be there as soon as possible. And then the plumber would come over and they would unclog your sink in the most Christian way possible. And you would listen to Hillsong and talk about theology as you did it. And then together you would pray for the sink and then the plumber would go home. And then you'd be like, oh no, actually my 
dog needs grooming. And so you'd ring up a Christian dog groom and say, look, my dog needs grooming. It's a, it's a sanctified mutt and I need it to be sorted out. And they would say, oh, we can do that. We will give your dog a very good haircut, which is very nice but modest for a Christian dog. And then you can get your dog a good Christian haircut. And it's, and it's, you know, it's like, it's a bit absurd. It's like, why do we need Christians to do things that it's just as possible to do if you're not a Christian? And, and you know, we see it like, like, we wouldn't do that, except the pro- problem is we do do that. Whether it's intentional or unintentional, we surround ourselves with people and situations which make us comfortable. We hang out with people who are just like us. And I know this because I am a a pastor and I live in the most bubbliest of Christian bubbles. Like it's very, very hard for me to find people who are not Christians in my life. I have to go hunting for them somewhere because, you know, I work in a place where Christians, the people I work with are Christians, my job is to do Christian things. Like it's it's all through my life. But we we find that we, we make our friends who are like us. And if we're a Christian, then our friends are going to be like us. And we, we often, you know, put ourselves in situations where we hang out with our Christian friends and then we don't see anyone else. And the problem is, if we keep separating ourselves from the world, if we keep avoiding the world, uh, then we have a problem there. Because what Jesus said, or what the farmer said to the servants, when they were like, should we separate the wheat and the weeds? And the farmer said, no, no, just leave them. I'll sort that out at harvest time. But if we separate ourselves from the world, uh, then we are doing the job that Jesus said uh, should not be done, that it's his job to separate the wheat and the weeds. It's our job to be there. Jesus talks about how we as Christians are salt and light, that our job is to bring, um, to bring life to the world, to bring truth to the world. But we cannot do that if we are not in contact with people who do not need the light of Jesus because they've already got it and do not need the truth of Jesus because they've already got it. We need to take ourselves out of our Christian bubble so that we have people that we can connect with so that we can uh, love them and so that we can see the goodness of God in his creations and we can love them the way that he loves them. Because it isn't just detrimental to the world if we take ourselves out of the world, it's detrimental to us if we are taken out of the world because that's what we see in the parable. So if you're worried, you know, am I someone who is avoiding the world, then I have uh, some questions for you to ask yourself. They are these ones. One is, do you have any friends who aren't followers of Jesus? And when I say friends, I don't mean can you name some people who don't know Jesus, but are you actually friends with them? Do you have people you can ring up and say, hey, let's go hang out? Do you have any friends like that? You know, we did a survey of this congregation a few uh, months ago, and a lot of people said, yeah, I would bring someone who doesn't know Jesus to church. But then also a lot of people said, I would, but I can't because I don't know anyone who doesn't know Jesus. We need to have friends who don't know Jesus. Otherwise, how are they going to meet Jesus? Do you spend most of your time socializing with Christians? If you do, then, then you are, you're probably putting yourself in a bubble. Whether it's intentional or not, you're doing it. And do you deliberately go to, out of your way to interact with people who aren't Christians? Because it's so easy to put yourself in a situation where you are comfortable 
Sometimes you need to say, I am going to do something different. I'm going to join a sports team where I know that there aren't any Christians there. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I go out of my way to get to know someone at work who, who, I, who is in, in a completely different mind space to me. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure that I, um, I go and join a new group of friends. I'm going, to, I'm going to do something. I'm going to get a hobby where I can meet other people. If you find yourself in a bubble, you need to deliberately put yourself somewhere else so that you are not avoiding the world, that you are not separating you as wheat from the weeds of the world because we need the world and the world needs us. The second uh, mistake to make uh, when it comes to dealing with the world is to go the opposite direction. Instead of avoiding the world, you uh, become just like the world, that you totally give in to the world. That in the way that you live, uh, if you are wheat, you look just like the weeds. And it could be uh, in the way that you uh, live your life at work. Uh, it could be that you are just as um, able to make um, dodgy ethical choices as the other people around you because you do not let your faith impact on how you live your life at work. Maybe at school you are just as gossipy as everyone else at school because you are not letting your faith impact your life. Maybe when you go out with your friends uh, who don't know Jesus and, and they start drinking, you start drinking and you do it just as much as they do. Maybe it's in your relationship uh, with, with your boyfriend or your girlfriend that your sexual purity is exactly the same as people outside the world because you don't want to be seen as different. And the fear that causes us to separate from people who don't know Jesus is the same fear that causes us to become just like them. That we are afraid that people will see us and will judge us for who we are as followers of Jesus. And so we become just like them. And when I talk to people about it, sometimes they say, oh, I just want to show people that Christians can be cool too. I just want to show people that, that Christians are normal, everyday people. But... But the truth is that if you look just like the weeds, uh, then they're not going to know that you're different. When Jesus talks about being salt in the world, he says, if the salt loses its saltiness, what use is it? If we are no different from the world, then how can we show them the love of Jesus? How will they know that we are different? So one mistake is to avoid the world. The other mistake is to become just like the world. And the last mistake is to try and, um, try and reform the world from the outside in. So some of the things that happen uh, is that we look at the world as Christians and we see some of the things that are going on and they worry us. And we say, we don't like that. Uh, in 1920, uh, the, in the United States, they uh, passed the 18th Amendment, uh, which was to uh, limit the transportation and the manufacture and the selling of alcohol. And this is what is called uh, prohibition. And if any of you have seen gangster movies, then you will know all about prohibition. The idea was that they were trying to get rid of alcohol as much as possible within the United States. They just wanted to have alcohol that was there for scientific purposes or you know, medical purposes, but for, the, for just consumption by everyday people, they wanted to, to wipe that out. And the reason why that came about is because there were a bunch of Christians who got together and they looked at what alcohol was doing to the world. And they saw that alcohol causes lots of problems. 
Alcohol is an addictive substance. Alcohol causes people to um, be violent and to uh, hurt others. Alcohol causes family breakdown. Alcohol causes uh, lots of medical problems. Alcohol causes lots of problems, and we know that's true. We see the effects of alcohol on our society, just as the Christians in those days saw the effects of alcohol on their society. So like, we want to do something about that. And so they lobbied the government, they worked hard to make sure that alcohol couldn't be uh, transported or sold or consumed as much as possible um, so that they could um, stop the, the evils of alcohol. And they were looking forward to what it was going to do for the world. Um, the evangelist Billy Sunday said this about prohibition. Uh, when He said that because of prohibition, the slums will soon be only a memory. We will turn our prisons into factories and our jails into storehouses and corn cribs. I don't know what a corn crib is, but I guess it's where you store corn. Otherwise, it's where you put baby corn to sleep, which would be very cute, but not a good use of space. Anyway, what he was saying was, because, of, because we get rid of alcohol, we get rid of all these social problems. And it's a really great idea, but it didn't work. One of the problems was, is that people kept drinking alcohol. People had stockpiled alcohol before prohibition, and then they just kept drinking it all the way through prohibition. The other problem was that it led to a rise in uh, illegal production of alcohol and illegal um, selling of alcohol, and it also led to a rise in organized crime. It's not like people stopped, the, the laws came out, and people were like, oh man, I can't drink alcohol, I better just go have some juice. Because laws don't change people's hearts. They don't change people's desires. And, and, it's not, and the Christians probably were not thinking, look, we really hate alcohol, but we really love gangsters. So let's stop the alcohol, and we'll get some Tommy guns on the street, because we really need to give something for Hollywood to make movies about for the next 80 years. It was like They weren't thinking about it. It was, had an unintended consequence, because what they were trying to do is they were trying to reform the world from the outside in. And you can't reform people from the outside in. The problem is not with what people do more than the problem is what is in people's hearts. Jesus tells us that it's not about what comes from the outside in, but what comes from the inside out. That is where evil comes from. We cannot reform the world from the outside in. And so we look at the things in the world and things which make us uncomfortable and things which we don't like, and we're like, we want to fix that, but the problem is uh, that we can't do it. And sometimes it just causes more problems. And so we really need to be really careful about being the moral police in the world as Christians. And some of you might be thinking, but what does that mean that we can't speak up about anything at all? And that's, that's not the case. Because there are definitely times when we need to speak up as Christians. When we need to speak up for the, the poor and the vulnerable. We need to speak up so that, people's, so that we can love our neighbor, so that people can be protected. We need to play our role in society to do that, but we cannot make this world a moral world through laws or through rules. We don't do it through our governments. We don't do it through our rules in our schools or our families or in our churches. We don't make people moral. And so the question is, when we're thinking about, well, how do I interact with the world? If I want to oppose something that's going on, something that's morally wrong, the question for you, the questions for you, if you are going to oppose these things, are these ones. Um, when I oppose this thing, does it help or hinder the proclamation of the gospel? 
Because as far as I can tell, the most important thing we have to offer the world is not good morality, but a changed life in Jesus. And so the question is, when we speak up about this issue, will it help us to talk about Jesus? Will it help us to show people the love of Jesus? Or will they hear us talking about all the things we hate so much that all they hear is that we hate them too? The next uh, question that I think is worth asking is, am I taking this stance out of love for my neighbor or out of a desire to make my neighbor more moral or out of fear of my neighbor? We can take moral stances in this world, but the reason why we do it is not, uh, not to make people better, or not because we're afraid of people, but because we love people. And so I'm not telling you where to stand on any issue, but you need to ask your heart, when you are going to oppose something, why are you doing it? Does it help the gospel to oppose this? Does it love my neighbor to oppose this? And if you can say yes, then you should go for it. But know that what you are doing is not trying to change people from the outside in, but just playing your role as a Christian in a mixed world, in a world where there are two kingdoms mixing together. So, the, so if we know, okay, we, we're not meant to avoid the world, we're not meant to just become like the world, and we cannot reform the world from the outside in, then what are we meant to do? Well, the way that we respond to the world uh, is to know that it is Jesus' world. That this world may be a world of mixed kingdoms, but Jesus owns the world. And so we love the world and we trust the owner. We love the world and we trust the owner because if he is in charge, if Jesus owns this world, then he is not going to let it get out of control. He is going to care for this world. And if we look at what he has done, if we look at the way he has come to earth, he has lived, died, and he rose again, if he did that for the world, he's not going to just let things just go to hell. He is going to work and work and work to call people to himself. He is the only one who can change people from weeds into weeds. It is him who changes lives. And so if he can do it, we trust him to do what is best for this world. And if we are trusting him as the owner of the world, then our job within the world is to love the world. And the most, the best thing that we can do to love the world is to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. Because the only way that people are changed, the only way that people go from being weeds to wheat, if that's even possible, uh, the, I know that it's not possible in you know, farming life, but the good thing is that this is a parable and it's just an analogy. The only way that people go from being uh, children of Satan to children of God is because they know and understand what Jesus has done for them. So the love that we have for the world, the best way we can show it is to share the love of Jesus with them. And you know, one day Jesus is going to come back. And Jesus is going to put an end to the opportunities for people to turn to him. We have limited time. This is an emergency. We have to do something about this. Uh, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says this. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's patience 
means salvation. God is holding off bringing the judgment to the world so that as many people who can be saved will be saved. We have a limited time. It's like, uh, I don't know how many of you have had this issue in your life, uh, but maybe your parents have, uh, when the washing is out on the line and there's a storm coming and you see the storm coming, and you're like, quick, we've got to go bring in the washing as quickly as possible. Or your parents are like, go get the washing, the storm is coming. Or then you see the raindrops, the rain is here, quick, get it. And then you're like, and you get it as quickly as possible. And then you run in and you, and you put it inside, you're like, oh, phew, we did it. You have a limited amount of time before all the washing gets wet again. And then you have to wait for days, months, years before the sun comes out again and it can dry. And so you've got to get it at that time. We have a limited time to tell people about Jesus. Jesus. The storm is coming. The harvest is coming. We love the world by sharing Jesus with them. And so we don't avoid the world. We get stuck into the world. We be among the world. We love the world. We, we make friends with people in the world so that they might know Jesus. So pray for your friends and let them know that you're doing that. If your friend asks you a question about Jesus, then you're like, hey, let's talk about that. Hey, do you want to read the Bible with me? You can do the brave things. You can do the things which seem dumb because you know we've got a limited time here. I've just got to get it done. This is an emergency. I will make the most of God's patience. Do what you can so that people will know the love of Jesus. But the other thing that we do to love the world is not just tell them about Jesus, but we also live out the values of the kingdom here and now. We don't wait for Jesus to come back before we start obeying Jesus. We love and obey Jesus now, and when we do that, we show people how good this kingdom is. That as they live in the kingdom of darkness, they look at us as children of the light, and they see that we have something better, something that they will want. They see that our words have integrity because we back up our words about Jesus with a life that looks like Jesus. And so we choose to love others. We love our enemies. We care for the poor. We, we look after the brokenhearted. We are generous with our lives. We are hospitable with what we have. And as we do that, we show people that this kingdom is a better kingdom. That these kingdoms are mixing so that for once, people will see how good it is to be part of Jesus' kingdom and they will want a part of that. And we can do this because we trust the owner of the world that he has it under control. When Jesus came, he came knowing, trusting in the will of his Father. That he knew that he did not have to avoid the world or become like the world or reform the world from the outside in. He didn't have to do that. He just had to obey his Father and trust that his Father had his life safe and sound. And even in death, when he would die on the cross for us, he still was there trusting his father. And he was vindicated in that trust when he came back to life. And we now know that we follow the one who has died and come back to life for us. That our lives are safe because he came back to life. That if our lives are safe, that we have nothing to fear from the world. We have nothing to fear from weeds. Weeds are people who we love. They're our friends and our family. They're our colleagues. They're people who need to know the love of Jesus. And so what we do is we trust the owner of the field, that he is with us, that he has made a way for us to be saved. 
and he has made a way for others to be saved. We trust him and we love the world. If you are not a Christian, then what this means for you is that you right now, if you do not follow and love Jesus, if you do not trust him, then you are a weed. And I know that's not a very flattering thing to be called, but Jesus said it, not me. You can blame him. But what Jesus is saying there is he's saying that you are someone who is destined for judgment. There is a price to be paid for turning your back on God. There is a price to be paid for giving in to the lies of Satan. Whether it's passively or actively, there is a price to be paid and one day a harvest is coming. And you will be gathered up and you will be punished for your sin. Unless you put your trust in Jesus. That we see that the one who is, judge, is going to come back and judge the world allowed himself to be judged first. That he took the punishment that we deserve, though he did nothing wrong, so that he would take what we needed, what we should have had, so that we can have life. And he has it for you too. There is forgiveness on offer for you. There is eternal life on offer for you. You can be wheat. You can be sure that you can be part of his kingdom that lasts forever if you trust in Jesus. But you need to trust in Jesus. And if you are a Christian, then what this means for you is you have a whole world out there to love. You have opportunities to meet people who don't know Jesus, to see how much God loves them, to see God's image in them, and to share the good news of what God has done with them, and to live out the values of the kingdom, showing them the love of God in the way that you live and the way that you love them. And when you do that, you will be living in a mixed kingdom, a mixed world of two kingdoms, but you will know that one day it's coming to an end. And you will see Jesus come back. And because you have trusted in him, you will shine like the sun. How about I pray for us? Lord God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that we can trust him. I pray that you'll help us to interact with this world well. That when we see evil in this world, that it will not cause us to despair, but cause us to get to work to get to work loving others, to get to work interacting with this world in a way that honors you, in a way that magnifies your gospel. I pray that we will find friends and find family who do not know you and we will love them because you love them. We will care for them because you care for them. We will pray for them because you want to see them come to you. And I pray that we will see people saved. I pray that we will not turn our backs on what you have called us to do, but we will live in this world in a way that honors you because we know that it is your world and we trust you as the one who owns it. Amen.